0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to a new venture for Endurance Chat. I'm Michael Zalavari, also known as Top Man 11, and joining me today on this, the third day of the year, I have with me Kiwi Chris, 1709. Good morning, Kiwi, and happy new year.
1: And happy new year to you and our listeners. And hold me, I'm scared, new venture. Ah! <laughs> I know, right?
0: So uh, if you missed our discussion about the, uh, when we were talking about the Bathurst 1000, uh, we're starting something new. Uh this is this is going to be uh, our little project we're calling it from the grandstands because both Kiwi yourself and I we love to watch a lot of sport and at this side in this side of the world there is plenty of sport to watch you know there's uh at the moment like this is literally just at the moment there's uh the the cricket on the ashes the big bash uh also worldwide cricket uh i know the the black caps the new zealand team are playing in bangladesh at the moment as well soon it will be the australian open uh, coming up after that is the winter olympics and there's just so much sport that i know both you and i are super duper into uh and i just want to talk about it i just want to talk about a lot of sport but yeah. there's another reason why we're doing this as well kiwi
1: yeah it's- in my life situation, I've going undergoing some changes at the moment, uh, expecting a newborn kid in the next three months. Woo! Uh, woo! So this is a way to still be involved in a podcast, be, you know, still have that engagement with everybody, still have a lot of fun, talk about the stuff we love, but where I don't have to think about it so much. Yeah. And I don't have to commit so much time.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, something (laughs) that I found last year, uh, seeing as we're in 2022 now, is that uh, while endurance sports cars is a a lovely thing, with, so incredible nuance, uh, trying to keep track of it all at once in the midst of everything that was happening last year was a lot. Uh, So, yeah, I'm like... Nowhere near going through as many big life changes as you at the moment because holy crap, that's incredible and fantastic and congratulations, even though we've already said it. Uh, but yeah, I'm like starting a new position this year as well. So it's going to be a, a big old slap to the head, but the, we're doing this for the love of it. Basically, we're doing it because yeah. we, we want to talk about our favorite events and broaden our scope beyond just sports cars. And I mean, there will still be endurance chat. Let's not forget that. There will still be endurance chat. We will talk about the WEC and hopefully make more of an effort to talk about IMSA and the European Le Mans series. But this is just kind of for us,
1: which will be good. this This is a side project. Those of you who remember the supercar chat and wanted that to come back, here it is.
0: Yeah. This, In a way. Basically, yeah. We, the, the way that we're going to basically format this is that the first sort of half of an episode, we're going to aim for them to be a bit shorter. The first sort of half an episode is going to be like supercars chat light. So, you know, just kind of catching up on what's been going on. Uh, and then the rest of it is going to be us talking about whatever sport that we're watching at the moment. So expect like... Cricket, because of course the Ashes are on at the moment, and if you're if you're not from Australia or England or a cricket nation, that just whoosh straight over your head. Um, but also, like uh, I'm quite into soccer, football, um, also cycling. When we get into the Grand Tour season, we'll be talking a lot about cycling. Uh, sure. I uh, I know you're into the rugby, coming from New Zealand, of course. The rugby is where the New Zealanders shine.
1: Yep, and we have got Super Rugby Pacific and the. Te- June test as well coming up in the next four or five months.
0: Yeah, exactly. What else are you oh, super that's exciting.
1: into? Um, so obviously cricket is my number one. I've played it for like 16 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> and i for a couple. Uh, Love my rugby. Into my footy a bit. And uh, that's lawn AFL, balls. isn't it? Il- yeah, AFL. Lawn bowls. <laughs> oh, I can't wait for you to go on a rant about lawn bowls. <laughs> oh, uh, the BPL is coming up soon, I think. So I'm going to be watching that. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, but we'll just throw sports at you that I don't think you've expected yeah. uh, Winter Olympics as well I know we'll both be watching that you especially
0: oh my god I can't wait to talk about some <laughs> biathlon oh it's so good yes. biathlon has become my favourite muse in like the last two or three years I'm so into it <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah it's going to
1: be loose fun Enjoy it,
0: yeah, hopefully, something for everyone, hopefully that uh, you know for our core audience there'll be the supercars, but for people who just love watching sport, there'll be something that you can tap into. So, let's give it a start then, and of course, the last big thing that we did to get the Kiwi was the the Bathurst 1000 preview, Uh, and since then, uh, that would have been just over a month ago now, we had, of course, the Bathurst 1000, we had all the results from that, and then Silly Season for the Supercars finished up, and now we're waiting for Newcastle, which will start sometime in February, if I recall correctly. But, I think we have to say, or at least I have to say... We freaking got Bathurst so wrong. We got it
1: so wrong. <laughs> I mean, not entirely, because I did say Lee Holdsworth was a good pickup. I don't think it'd be that good a pickup. Yeah, I wrote him <laughs> off. That was bad. So if,
0: you, if you're if you out of the loop, cut in the bit where we talked about Bathurst and Lee Holdsworth and Chas Mostert.
1: Lee Holdsworth is a really good pickup for the team.
0: I, I've got a question mark about that. So Holdsworth, he's not really an exciting driver. I, I think I, I'd be more... I would have preferred to have Luff in that car with Mostert. Oh. And so, what happened next, Kiwi? Um, they brained the field. <laughs> it was incredible. I think I think Holdsworth in practice two, which was the co-driver only practice, set a lap time faster than Chaz in the in the main game practice. Yeah. He was just so quick. He was so quick. And that just gave them so much flexibility throughout the race. I think Holdsworth did like five laps less than Chaz throughout the entire race. Cause he was just that, that quick. He was just that quick.
1: Yeah. I think around, you know, they were talking, the commentators were talking around the lap 40 mark that they could just keep Lee Holdsworth in, get into the lap 70. And they pretty much did exactly that. And, and he lost no pace.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. He lost absolutely nothing. And, they never left the top 10, except for like, except for a small problem where they had the, what was it, the puncture that they had?
1: Yeah, but that was actually really well managed by, um, was it Chaz driving at the time? Yeah. Yeah, really well managed to get that car back safely. Very good. Just a little bit of luck you need at Bathurst, and out they go again. I think they dropped four places and made those up within the space of an extent
0: yeah they were basically every single time that they were off sequence they were back on sequence in the lead mm. so it was it was pretty wild and that's going to be the biggest win that Walkinshaw and Dreddy United has had since that program has started that's going to be the biggest win for Chaz since Daytona 2020 um mm-hmm. you could argue even since his win at Bathurst in 2014 but like yep. damn what, and, a, what a way to finish
1: and, and redemption for he finally got one back over the mountain after what happened a few years ago to him
0: yeah absolutely and if you missed that that was 2015 where we had a massive Mm. crash in qualifying broke his leg like absolutely snapped his femur and Mm. yeah quite quite harrowing that uh that incident um but just boy did we get that wrong (laughs) (laughs) we did yeah And, and like what we said wasn't necessarily exactly untrue um but i i think I've, I've kind of forgotten that Lee last year was actually quite on the pace. He seems to just like... So there's mm. something about Bathurst that has just awoken something. In the, and like, absolutely, his, first, his 18th attempt at the mountain to finally come away
1: with a win, that's huge. Yeah. And it's, I think for him, it's just, just reward for effort. Mm. He I've never he's... seen him drive as determined as he was, I don't think, on that weekend.
0: Oh, absolutely. And like you could see just based on the, in all the crow driver sessions and everything, he was, he was almost about to qualify that car. He was so quick.
1: And look at the rest of the podium as well. Did we get any of them right? <laughs> I think we said Cameron
0: Waters, uh, cause they finished mm-hmm. second last year as well. So another second for Tickford, which is kind of, you know, th- they came second, but they never really looked like challenging for the win. Not like last year where they mm-hmm. actually looked pacey. Um, but the the number the third place Brody Kostecki and J, uh, David Russell that's a that's a huge boon for them. Right? Like well, they came up with seven positions after they got disqualified from the shootout.
1: Yeah, Erebus had an amazing weekend. Yeah, apart absolutely. from apart from what happened to Will Brown and Jack Perkins' car and the race.
0: Yeah, that's true. They were uh, <laughs> the the qualifying effort. Uh, Will Brown's qualifying mm-hmm. effort to just get it to the it, like put it on pole. Parker
1: and just watch everyone else miss that lap was just awesome. (laughs) Yeah, and really, it wasn't for the young blokes. Actually, both young blokes. Mm. They're Um, going to be a
0: force to be reckoned with next year, I reckon.
1: Yeah, they sure they sure are. And the money that's coming into the team and going to continue to come into the team is going to put them in a good stead with Gen Three. That's for sure
0: absolutely and we'll talk more about gen 3 when that becomes more relevant which might be another year away who freaking knows with gen 3 at the moment
1: (laughs) yeah they they have said that they did launch the cars and they look they look really damn good but there's going to be a 2023 launch
0: yeah and they sound good as well like they look they look brutish they sound brutish that's that's the cool thing about that uh and
1: they're they're not going pedal shift
0: oh have they decided have they like actually officially decided that yet
1: I think that's the way it's going to go and oh, thank the lord.
0: Oh my god, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um one one name very much missing from the top of that uh Bathurst result is Shane van Gisbergen who I think has just had the worst luck in enduros broadly over the past two or three years. Like, I, I know that he won Bathurst last year and that was a big, like, a big deal. But, you know, a, a puncture with five laps left of the race while chasing the lead matches in, I think, 2019 Sandown where after they led all day, he had a suspension failure and, like, three laps left to go. It's like, what does he what does he have to do? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Far out. That just, it, like, he absolutely deserved to be at least second on that podium. But, yeah, yeah ended I'm, up finishing 18th.
1: Let's be real. He was not going to win, but yeah, it's, an, it's a tra- it's a travesty, travesty of un- unfortunate bad luck.
0: Yeah, quite true. And and like he was the I think he was the only other player that uh, he and Garth Tander were the only other team that were looking to challenge, like seriously mm. challenge, Um, Monster yeah. and Holdsworth.
1: I mean, we look at the other big names that we could have challenged: Jamie Wincup, Craig Lance, They were caught up by double stacking in late safety cars so they ended up fourth yeah which is a the shame just which because is- of that. which is a shame because i think they deserve better and their runs and their and their stints were great but just that little bit of bad luck yeah djr ended up well the davisons in 10th and the other car had a line failure
0: yeah like djr were were nowhere i think they mm. are my disappointment of the day,
1: really. I was going to say my disappointment of the day, and not because of anything like poor driving or anything, Andre Heimgartner and Matt Campbell. Yeah, what happened to them? They ended up not classified. Their last lap took twice as long as the race winner. Oh, no. Dang. And that was after having having a window blowout as well. Um, Andre Heimgartner had no radio whole race, and I think, reading between the lines, ran out of fuel on the last lap. Oh, really? Oh, no. Because, mm. they yeah, they did 159
0: laps and they, they weren't classified. Dang. Mm.
1: Yeah, oh. because you know radio, you can't communicate, can't do strategy, and as it turned out, this was a strategy race. Yeah. Dang. And, yeah, that, that just, in the end, shame. And it's interesting we talk about Kelly Grove because that's his last drive for the team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's because uh, he will be moving on to Walkinshaw, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Uh, and he isn't no. walking no. no he's not walking good. he's uh, walking it, off Brad, Jones. To Brad Jones
0: yeah who gave him his like his first proper well his mm-hmm. return
1: as a co-driver the other name that I thought would do better than they did in the end was actually Scotty Pye but again that's not his fault
0: <laughs> yeah they it, it always happens to someone it's always a, yeah. a Bathurst heartbreak for someone and in the end it was James Golding and Scott Pye who were in and out of the pits
1: like they did six maps.
0: Yeah, from from the uh, yeah, it's just yeah. I uh, because what, what they have was a, a power steering drama or something like yeah, those
1: Yeah, which never normally fails in these cars.
0: Yeah, exactly, and like you can't get around Bathurst without power steering. Like you try to do the top of the mountain, you think about the amount of load that's going through that front left, uh, front right tire when you get to McPhelimy mm. Park, it, that that would wrench the the car from your hands, just absolutely. Mm. There's just nothing you could do. So, I think
1: they cut to an onboard of him trying to wrestle that car around and it just looked disgusting, like, yeah. Hot, just absolutely and the heartbreaking for him because he team 18 and he deserves so much better.
0: Yeah, and and Golding as well. Golding was on mm. the pace of a lot of the top co-drivers as well. So that's it's really unfortunate for them. And a bad way to end up the season as well, because they were looking for top tens in both those cars, and they just had a bad event. I mean, you look at Mike Winterbottom and Michael Caruso, they finished sixteenth. Uh, you know, the mm. third to last car on the lead lap, and that meant that they actually both dropped out of the top ten. Uh, for for uh for the the season, um, I think oh well, Frosty just scraped into the top ten, so he was tenth. But like that, that's not where they wanted to be. That's not where they deserve to be, really. Mm. Agreed. Uh, um, should I, we wanna, to, I should we talk about some surprises. Not quite yet, because I still want to talk about DJR because okay, uh, like we made mention. Uh, Pasquale had the driveline failure, so he and Tony Delberto mm. finished, well, they didn't end up finishing, but uh, Will Davison and Alex Davison, they finished down in 10th. Now, I don't know what happened to that team because at Sydney, they were the class of the field. Anton and Will were the class of the field for the most part, and it was their poor strategies or bad luck that meant that they didn't win races. At Bathurst they had nothing. They had nothing. You looked at their long long stint pace, and every single time, they'd fall back through the field. Even their pit mm. stops were dropping them back through the field. And I know it was bad luck for Will and Alex that they got double stacked, which is why they dropped so far down at that last stint, which is why their result is nowhere. Um, but they weren't in a position to challenge anyway. And then the car that wasn't in a position to challenge had the driveline failure and couldn't do anything. So... It was, it was. It was just. A, it's such an anonymous event from a team that normally is
1: at the head of the field. And this is a team that look their pace was at eighth to tenth all weekend.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: in pretty much every session. And this is a team. And Will Davison in particular finished third at the first race of the season at the Mount Panorama 500. Mm. So the car should have been great here, and the form at Sydney Motorsport Park was fantastic, and. Yeah, I, I just don't understand it. And I, it's not just Alex Davis and not being quick. It's something else going on with that, well, that went on with that car.
0: Yeah, it, it looked like they were just chasing the setup the entire weekend. Mm. It was just something wasn't... It didn't roll out of the truck great, as as they say. Yeah.
1: I think uh, it rolled out of the truck on its roof. Oh,
0: please don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what surprises then? You wanted to talk about surprises? Who
1: surprised you? Oh even though this was a do not finish, Brock Feeney.
0: Yeah, that's probably one of the sad stories of the event. Mm. Brock Feeney and Russell Engel, uh, they were, they were in fact a story. I don't think Russell
1: expected it to be as hard as it was. No, 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 definitely not. But, um, he put in what, six months of solid training to try and get there. And to be fair to him, he wasn't terrible, but he was, and admittedly, we didn't see a lot of it on TV because Repco, I think had a word, but, Brock Phoenix, he he qualified fifteenth. He
0: didn't do too badly, and, and like yeah. for his first proper main game start, qualifying fifteenth, like that's that's pretty good. You know, that's ahead of both Team Sydney cars, ahead of Andre Heimgartner, ahead of um who else? Ahead of Todd Hazelwood. Ahead of Todd Hazelwood. Oh man, that was I just <sighs> mm. ahead of James Courtney even. Like, that's yeah. that's a pretty pretty significant few names there that he managed to qualify ahead of. And I think that really shows for next year, when he steps into that Triple Eight machine full-time, mm. he's not going to sit around quietly.
1: No. And I don't think Jamie Winkab would have picked him to replace him if he was... Uh... You know, going to be timid and sit around quietly.
0: Absolutely right. the The way that their race ended, though, in the wall after the safety car, that's one of the most galling ways you can finish a Bathurst event. Oh. But it had to be someone. It had to be someone who hits the wall at McPhillamy, and unfortunately, it was it was him. But you know, he's what 19. He'll learn from that. He'll <laughs> remember that on the first lap after a safety car restart, you need to take a little bit off and. You know, because he was only about an inch wide of the ideal line there, and that was what sent him into the wall.
1: Yeah, which we know is all it takes up there. But yeah, he'll be back, bigger, better, stronger. Mm. Driving, probably driving with um, well, either win couple of rounds next year.
0: I'm, I'm interested in that. I'm interested whether yeah. or
1: not uh whether or not Wink Cup wants to get behind the wheel. Interest, it's good. I think it will come down to like sort of how he finds running the team. If he's going to have because Roland Dane stepping back as well,
0: yeah. He's fully so taken
1: back. Yeah. It's basically him and Jess and Tony Quinn who puts money into it.
0: Yeah.
1: Um So how that team's gonna match and they've lost a couple of crucial engineers as well. David Couch is going somewhere else.
0: I think he's going uh, to walk in shore to head up their team. I think team. so.
1: I I think, think so yeah via gardening leaf. But yeah. um so that that's gonna be a really interesting story for the first half of next year. And if they're not quite on the pace, I'm actually gonna Say so, yeah, it now. I wouldn't be surprising to me if they're not quite up the top straight away.
0: Yeah, because that's something that we say a lot. Uh, well, that we said a lot during Supercars chat, and I'm gonna I'm gonna bring us back with an old throwback. When the cars are as close as they are in terms of their specification. What matters most then is the personnel behind the scenes. And we mm. see this in endurance racing as well with LMP2. The best teams in LMP2, A, have a really good silver driver, but B, they have great engineering talent because all the cars are effectively the same. So mm. that's that's where the engineers come in and they shine. And Triple Eight have had, you know, Jeremy Moore, David Couchy, Mark Dutton, um, uh, Skip um uh, Shippy, uh, whose actual name, uh, is that Alistair McPherson?
1: No, it was grant the first one wasn't
0: it uh, whoever whoever who like who has now gone to Walkinshaw Shore as well uh, so they've had all of these incredible names that have become household names in supercars uh, because of their engineering talent you know they're the Lena Gade the the Howden Haynes of uh well the the Jeremy Moore of the WEC <laughs> like <laughs> Jeremy Moore literally was the engineer for the the championship winning Porsche LMP1 car for three years. So, like, that's the quality of names we're talking about here. Um, yeah, so, and no
1: other team has that. No, like, I, not. I think not the nearly biggest the same. I think the biggest name from, the, for example, with Tickford, uh, went over to do NASCAR. Yeah. So, and, and there's not no one else has made its waves anywhere.
0: Exactly. It seems that the Triple Eight have this incredible engineering uh, ladder that they can bring people mm. up into that then permeates through the rest of the field, which, like, I, I mean, it's awesome for the field. It's awesome for supercars on the whole. And, like, if you look 20 years ago, the gaps from first to last versus now, it's so much narrower. And that means that the the, comp- the level of competition is so much higher. Uh, but it, it does mean that for a lot of the time, it's Triple Eight leading the way, which is, like, again, great for the sport. But it's it's certainly it certainly means that they're at the top more often than not. But I think it will be an adjustment period, uh, with with Couchy stepping out as well. Uh, at least at least Shane's keeping his engineer, uh, for the yeah. for the year. So
1: yeah, and keeping the number ninety seven on his car as well. How f- good? How good? <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> Whoops, Daisy. We're, we're passionate about sport. You might get a bit of swearing. We apologise. Do we? I um, don't think
0: we do. Um,
1: who else surprised you? Honestly, McCauley Jones and Chris Fetha. Up 10 positions into 12th. That's not too yeah. bad. That's not too bad at all for a guy who you and I both consider not the most technically efficient behind the wheel.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a nice way of putting it. Um, but on the whole, Brad Jones actually came out of Bathurst mm. with quite a few. Well, I mean, all of them were good results. Uh, yeah. All four cars finished, which is good. All four cars improved from their grid slot, which was good. And... As far as, you know, Nick Perkett and Dale Wood, they were an outside shot of a decent result. Todd Hazelwood came up 10 positions to finish in the podium. And yeah, as you said, uh, Maca Jones and Chris Pitha, uh, they were up 10 positions as well.
1: Yeah, uh, great effort from Brad Jones. Uh, I don't think they, I can't think of him having, having too much go wrong apart from the first break decision with the Coke car found the wall with the dipper.
0: Yep. But
1: and and that's, that's, that's,
0: that's something we rarely say about Brad Jones at
1: that <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. But yeah, no, all in all, great weekend from them. Another good weekend, I think, from Bryce Forward and Warren Luff.
0: Yeah, and I I was kind of teasing this out in our preview as well. Warren Luff just has a habit of of getting into good positions. And I think, mm. I think that actually has really, that must have helped Bryce because having someone so experienced next to him and of course, across the garage, with everything that was happening in the other side of the garage, there with Chaz and Lee, the 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 setup changeover must have been immense. And so, like, it's no surprise to me that that car ended up finishing in fifth place, um, despite how nowhere they were in uh, in Sydney. Yeah,
1: <laughs> basically. And I think it's a shame now that Bryce is, Bryce is moving on. Yeah, I think this result, this result shows what he could do, in and in a car that's really competitive, so it will be interesting to see what he brings to the table next year.
0: Yeah, but you can't you can't pick on potential. That's the thing you can't pick on potential. I
1: mean, I, I mean other teams have.
0: I mean, uh, yeah, but he's he was there for two years. He was there for yeah. two years, and in that time period, Mostert's taken a bunch of wins, including now the Bathurst one thousand. Bryce has never been at that level, at least not in this car, in this championship. Um, I think I, I was looking at something when the season ended, and I think the difference between Mostert and Fullwood is the largest difference between teammates through the whole field. So, you know... Eh. Eh.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah. Eh. Eh. Eh.
0: What about the big moments of the race? Well, I, I know what my biggest moment of the race is. Chris, what's yours?
1: Sonic the Hedgehog. Echidna.
0: <laughs> yeah, what, what, like, we know Australian wildlife always has an effect on this race, but that's the first time I've seen an echidna try to cross the racetrack.
1: <laughs> and it's great on for doing so, but Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think, if I was that small, I would not want to be anywhere near a car doing 200Ks where you got nowhere to go. Yeah, like, um,
0: and, and normally, like... Okay, kangaroos are absolutely dumb. They're The Australian version of sheep, even though we have sheep, they, they have a death wish. Okay, so if you're <laughs> ever driving anywhere in the country in, in Australia, keep your eyes out for kangaroos, because they will jump mm. in front of you, because they're idiots.
1: Particularly, particularly if it's sunset.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's
1: what they love to do it most.
0: Exactly. Um, Echidnas, though, they're, they're timid. They're scared. They don't want to be anywhere. So the fact that one just ended up trying to cross the track, that's like, what? What? What?
1: Yeah. What are you doing, buddy? And this was at the same time we saw a white wallaby and a lizard,
0: all on the track. We had, we, oh,
1: yeah, all around the track. Same time we had the Bathurst petting zoo out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but um, blimey. but that was a that caught a safety car, obviously. Yeah. And it really set up the race for the second half because it came what around lap ninety. Yeah, 75? it was
0: it was uh, I've got it uh here. I've got my um my daily sports car report uh that I did for Oh the... yeah,
1: I, sh- I, sh- I should have read that.
0: <laughs> it was Lap 105 that uh that uh the Echidna caused the safety car. And yeah, that that set up the the rest of the race. It absolutely mm-hmm. just changed the face of the race.
1: Yeah. And I think as well, the It was just... how'd you sum up this race? It's a really traditional sort of endurance Bathurst enduro. First half of the race everyone's going as hard as they can, getting themselves a ticket for the second half. And the second half it all kicked off into Madness.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's classic Bathurst. It's it's a oh. bit like it's a bit like Lamar, except Lamar doesn't often have the the crazy at the end of the race because because just because of the way that endurance sports cars work and the regulations behind the safety cars and the full course yellows and how all that works. Um, Yeah, Bathurst seems to be a lot of high intensity stuff at the beginning, a long settling period between laps 20 and lap 100 and then something will light the match and then the fireworks happen in the last part of the race. And like the, the fireworks, the, the safety car restart after the Echidna oh. where you had... Van Gisbergen you had win cup you had uh deep Esqually, you had the erebus cars you had mustard all sending it around the outside of each other in mcphillamy <laughs> over the top of the mountain up the cutting it was it was like it was the last 5 laps but it was still 50 laps from the end we had 2 hours of racing to go at this point and like man they turned it on but yeah it was just the typical Bathur storyline
1: mm. Yeah. That safety car restart was probably one of the best safety car restarts I've seen in racing. Yeah, in (laughs) racing. It was off the wall. And the fact they did it without a massive twenty car pile up. Yeah. It's pretty incredible as well. The other moment I think for me as well, and we've talked alluded to it before, seeing the triple eight car no, sorry, the double eight car because numbers the um get caught out with the double stacking and that with that 30 lap to go.
0: Yeah, it happens. And, and for those who don't yeah. understand what we're talking about here, in supercars is, their pit stops is more similar to F1 than it is to sports cars. In sports cars, you have like one pit boom per car, which means that you can service mm. two cars in the same team at the same time. In supercars, you only have one and that's part of the cost cutting strategies for the teams, even though that's not really a thing. um, uh. So it means that when there's a safety car, very often it is less painful to pit both cars at the same time and have one car sit behind the other one waiting to be serviced than it is to let the other car do another lap behind the safety car and then come into the pits after that. And we've seen teams get burned by this so many times. I think uh, 2011, uh, Louns and... uh, Who was driving with Louns at that point?
1: Uh, that would have been... louds and Scaife. Yeah, they, safety, yeah. they
0: effectively lost the race because during the race, they were double stacking behind mm. Winkup and Dumbrell, who ended up having a problem and not finishing the race. But they only lost that race by like two tenths of a second. And had they not had to double stack in that last stint, they probably would have been ahead.
1: Yeah. And I'll be honest, my heart absolutely sank when I saw that happening because... As much as w- Wink-ups being the polarizing driver, he deserved in his final race as a driver, full-time driver, he deserved an amazing result. And Louncy just deserves to get to the same as Brock. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'll be honest, and I was, my heart just sank and I was just hoping, hmm, is there a Debris call somewhere coming soon? But no, it wasn't to be.
0: Yeah, it was quite unfortunate. And it was a shame for him not to get a podium in his last race mm-hmm. as well. It, it kind of, yeah. it felt anticlimactic. Um, it did, it
1: yeah. did. Uh, but uh, at, the, at the end of it as well, he was just like, "Meh, happens."
0: <laughs> I, I mean, he's he's absolutely took it in his stride. So I mean, props to mm. him. And on the note of uh, anticlimactic versus climactic, I gotta say, supercars know how to freaking hype a race. Oh my god, <laughs> watching <laughs> watching the the hour preview, or like the, the everything they managed to fit into that hour before the race started was mm-hmm. just. Absolute top notch. They they built the hype without being cheesy about it, and oh my god, I was so like when the when the the race finally started, I was buzzing. It was oh, so good.
1: That thing, that bit where they had um, Neil Crompton walking down the grid, talking about what was about to happen, that was something that was just incredible.
0: They they know how to do it. They pour so much money yeah. in it, but boy, does it pay off.
1: Oh, it does. This is their... this is they Big event of the year, and I can't think of another motorsport event that has this much go into it. Was it one hundred and sixty odd cameras, production value that's up the wazoo, and coming out the wazoo? The
0: the commitment from the whole broadcast and commentary team, like that's it's a six and a a quarter hour race, and then you add the hour of preview and the hour of post show. Mm. It's...
1: And this year, of course, there was a six-day event as well.
0: That's true as well. Let's quickly touch on that. As much as we love talking about supercars, the six-day format,
1: what did you think? Apart from the fact that some support drivers really need to learn how to drive, because like, for example, F5000 was a shit show.
0: Yeah, that was... Oh, my God. <laughs> I, that was, I, I think that they, was, were
1: drive, they were driving it like there it was touring cars, but in open wheeler cars going fast and supercars around the chase.
0: Yeah, it, like, what I, are
1: you doing?
0: I, I gotta say, as much as I was hopeful for the six day format with all the support categories, including like TCR, uh, S5000, Trans Am, uh, Touring Car Masters, the Porsche Carrera car, the fact that None of these guys could stitch a lap around in a race. Just it just neutered the whole thing mm. for me. The, the only thing yeah. worth watching was supercars because literally every other category was affected by red flags the whole time. Yeah. Australian
1: Australian GT wasn't too bad. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, I mean, but... even then Mark Gossens decided to plow into the rear of uh True. What's his face? Tony Bates on uh, yes. in the first yes, lap. Yes, that's true. Yeah, so that's true. Not ideal for him, anyway. Um. Let's let's skip out uh, over all that. We don't want to focus too much on the negatives. Uh, there was something I was going to say, and now I've forgotten it. Okay, let's not skip out on all that. Let's <laughs> talk about the negatives now. I do want to say
1: congratulations, Chaz Mostert, on your TCR win.
0: That too as well. Big weekend for Chaz. Yes. Um,
1: yeah. All things
0: considered. So yeah, Chaz has taken his second Bathurst 1000. Lee takes his first. Waters gets another podium. Tickford gets another podium. Kosteki and David Russell get on the podium as well. Uh, it's it was a Bathurst event filled with storylines, and I can't mm. wait to to do it all again.
1: Yeah, twenty twenty two, last year. Hopefully, of these cars, it's going to be a good, going to be a big one, and I think it's coming at a more sensible time next year.
0: Yeah, hopefully we'll see it at like in its normal traditional October date, and hopefully, mm. well, I mean, I say hopefully COVID can screw off, but with Australia's response at the moment, maybe not. But we'll see about that. Let's talk now about the silly season for supercars because it has been this the silliest in a long time.
1: Uh, this is this is sillier than England's performance in the Ashes.
0: Oh, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to but,
1: that. Uh, um, first thing I want to say, congratulations, Lee Holworth. Enjoy your 2022 drive.
0: He's back. Like what a what a way to make a statement. There was one slot left in the entire field. When Bathurst started, and Holdsworth put his hand up and basically forced himself into it, and that is uh, like he'll be driving. Who will he be driving with next year?
1: He's taking he's taking that last seat at Grove Racing. There you go. Part, partly because I think Matt Payne wasn't given dispensation, and partly because it's just the right move for them.
0: Absolutely, I, I, and that's that's going to be that's going to be the experience that they've been desperately needed. I, I mean, like mm. Reynolds experience, but also Reynolds. A flog, so <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
1: That's the tame version. But yeah. um it's a great pickup for them. He might only be there for a season or two. But hey, that's good but enough. That's good enough and he's gonna pick be the engineering to car relationship that the team will need.
0: Yeah, so let's let's have a look at all the changes that have happened. So uh, from the top, DJ, we've got, (laughs) uh, we've got got like five minutes. This will hopefully only take five minutes. So DJR, uh, well, DJR, they're staying the same deepest quality and Will Davison. So uh, I'm not, well, I mean, Will Davison, he's going to ride this gravy train as long as he can. Uh, triple eight, Winkup retires. Brock Feeney comes in. That's been the big story. And hopefully we'll see Feeney get straight into it. Erebus. They've actually stayed the same. Will Brown, Brody Kostecki committed for another year. That's huge for them. Well done. Um, Walkinshaw drop forward end up with Nick Perkat. Is this the moment? Is this make or break for Percat?
1: I'm going to say yes. He's back where it all started, where he won his thousand, and now full time, a teammate that's going to be hard to beat. If he can get close to him, I think he's going to do well.
0: And Percat was the best of the rest this season. Like if you mm. remove Triple uh, Eight and DJR and Chaz Mostert. Percat was the next yeah. best driver by like by uh, this, a long way.
1: This is his chance now.
0: Absolutely. Um, Team Sydney stay with the same. Do we care about Team Sydney? It yeah, great. Uh, we've made mentioned Kelly Grove Racing now. Grove Racing Reynolds and Holdsworth. So Heimgartner moves on. Holdsworth comes in. Uh, Team Eighteen stayed the same. Frosty and Scott Pye for
1: another season. Uh, thoughts on Team Eighteen? If they can get two cars consistent. Stable lineup, good crew. I reckon they'll be looking to improve. If they can get top five championship, they'll be happy.
0: I reckon if they can get both cars in the top 10, that'll be a huge achievement. Mm. I don't see it happening, though. We'll see. Yeah. Um, Matt Stone Racing, uh, Jake Ostecki moves on. Zane Goddard moves, well, gets dropped. Um, Jack LeBrock goes from Tickford to Matt Stone Racing. Todd Hazelwood comes from Brad Jones into Matt Stone Racing. Back to where it all began for Todd. Um, Jack LeBrock kind of uh, shifted from a disappointing Tickford lineup.
1: What are your thoughts the su- there? The success of this team next year, or this year, will determine on how well these two drivers who have taken a step back can help develop the team.
0: I think so too. Hazel would remember won his super two championship with Matt Stone racing. And Mm. that like, that was the year with Bryce forward with uh, Zane Goddard, with Jake Kostecki. So with all of these drivers in it as well. So it's been a little disappointing to not see him kick on from that. But I I think part of that has been the engineering at Brad Jones, but we'll see. Um, Tickford racing, big changes here as well. Cam Waters stays, James Courtney stays, uh, Jake Kostecki comes in from Jack LeBrock, so that was a, basically a straight swap. And uh, Thomas Randall finally, finally,
1: gets finally. Full a uh, full-time supercars drive. And this is Tickford expanding to four cars? Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? We've always seen four cars at Tickford go horribly wrong for whoever's in the 56. rest in peace, Jake Kostecki. <laughs> basically. <laughs> If they can thought that. And they've brought in some big names, I think, this next year. So we'll see what they can do. Yeah, Um, I I have my doubts.
0: To me, four cars has always been spread too thin. I can't think of any Mm -hmm. team that has done four cars and been a consistent challenger. You know, Brad Jones has tried it. Kelly's have tried it. Tickford have tried it. The only team that really hasn't tried it has been Triple Eight. And they've been the only team... Well, I mean, Dick, Dick Johnson racing, but even before Team Penske were bankrolling them, they were struggling. Um, yeah, they
1: were They were struggling to run one car properly back yeah, in those exactly. early 2010s.
0: But like, you know, Brad Jones, Kelly's, Tickford, the third and fourth mm. car in those operations just always gets shafted. Yeah. So we'll see.
1: We'll, we'll see.
0: Brad Jones... uh, Nick Perkett moves on. Andre Heimgartner comes in. Todd Hazelwood moves on. Bryce Fullwood comes in. Macca Jones and Jack Smith stick around. Um, to me, that is an overall weaker lineup, even though Holdsworth comes in. Uh, sorry, Heimgartner comes in.
1: Heimgartner v. Perkett. You'd always take Perkett any day of the week.
0: Yeah. Forward versus so, yeah, Hazelwood. Hazelwood yeah fair there you go exactly um and tim slade stays with blanchard racing uh it's good to see him get a second lease in life
1: where else was he going to go because frankly that's just that just that's a team that's working yeah change it yeah exactly (laughs) although big thing for them this year this year is we're at 25 entries now they're going to be on their own they're not Mm. going to have a pit room to share so suddenly they have to get more crew more you know more everything so, more equipment, uh,
0: yeah. They can't share with uh, Tickfit anymore, which that that is going to be a big challenge for them. So mm. they they will take some time to adjust.
1: Won't surprise me to see if Blanchard goes to twenty six, cut makes it twenty six, and takes a second C next year.
0: Oh, that is a big commitment. That is a huge commitment.
1: But really, you're paying to yeah. run, run one car. It probably costs you fifty percent more to run the second. He may do it.
0: He, in indeed, he might. So. Mm. Biggest surprise and biggest change in the silly season?
1: For me, I think the biggest change is, honestly, Andre Brad Jones.
0: Yeah, that's... And remember, he was confirmed at the Kellys as well. He was confirmed at, well, Kelly yeah. Grove. So they had to release him from that contract to let him go. hmm
1: yeah, the, the, for me, that's, I mean, obviously we're including the real big news of Brock Feeney, but for me, that's a second. That's the most surprising change, I think. Yeah, for I, this year,
0: I think the best change is Perkat to Walkinshaw. I'm excited for that oh, yeah. move. For me, the most exciting was actually the straight swap between Jake kosteki and Jack LeBrock. I didn't not yeah. that I not that I don't rate kosteki but I didn't think he would be that sought after.
1: No, um, especially at Tickford. Yeah. Like Jack LeBrock's had so much time and effort put into him by the that threw throughout Super 2 and all of that to just throw him out in the trash now. Well, it's interesting
0: cuz LeBrock has actually been through quite a few different uh stables. You know, he started with mm. Erebus in the in the GT stable. Like my first memories of Jack LeBrock was watching him pilot like that silver um, Mercedes AMG around. Then he mm. was uh, in Tickford's uh, lineup in um, in Super Two. Then he actually went to Techno, which was being supported by Triple Eight. So he was an outside shot for the Triple Eight machine. And then now he's at Tickford, and now he's gone. So like that's it's it's been a yeah a weird a weird yeah. cycle it's for LeBron. It's
1: a weird thing. Mm. I. And it can't be good for his confidence either. Young bloke trying to start out, just give him a couple of years. But then again, he hasn't really proven well, deserving he, of a shot
0: yet. Well, he's had a couple of years now. He had two years at Tickford. Yeah. And he got one race win in the tire malarkey mm. of Sydney motorsport park. When we restarted after COVID last year, well, 2020. And like, yeah. that's it. That's really it.
1: Yeah. And if, and for me, the most disappointing change is David Rendell still having a seat. Wow. Rude. I mean, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I, I I'll be honest, this year, and I, know I said it before that Lee Hodgson might only get a couple of years, but if David Reynolds doesn't pull his finger out, he could find himself on the outer very quickly if Matt Payne comes up to speed really quick.
0: Heck yeah. I'm keen for Matt Payne to get up to speed. That'll be exciting. Yeah. Oh, I, Hopefully yeah. he learns how to start a car properly, but I'm keen for Matt
1: Payne. <laughs> I mean, he's, he'll learn. He's a P fighter. <laughs> God damn it. Uh... <laughs> Jesus, you broke me! Absolutely broke me. (laughs) Gosh. Uh, So who
0: uh, who are you most excited to watch this year? Erebus. Will Brown and Brody Kostecki. I reckon uh, both of them. Yeah, that's going to be cool. Uh, They're real. The way that they finished this year, last year, uh, they're going to be a real Hmm. big challenge this year.
1: Yep. I I would not surprise me to see if they become best of the rest in twenty two.
0: You know what? Neither, neither will I. Um, I'm, I'm excited. Don't ask
1: me, don't ask me which one's better. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, Will Brown only just edged out uh, Brody Kostecki in the championship, and it was by uh, by sixty points.
1: So, which is four positions in a race.
0: Exactly. Very, very tight run. Um, I am most excited to see Thomas Randall with a drive. I reckon that'll be really, really good. Mm -hmm. And also, I'm Nick Perkett at Walkinshaw. I'm excited for
1: that. Yeah, to see what he can do against Chazzy.
0: Brilliant. So there's, there's Supercars. There's our Supercars wrap for the silly season. I think Supercars' first race will be back. Uh, where, well, uh, it should ca- be Newcastle. I have the calendar up.
1: Yep. So we'll be starting at Newcastle, 5th and 6th of March. Then we go to Tassie. Then we get Albert Park for what could be really interesting. I reckon the Supercars are going to love the new Albert Park layout. They're doing it. There's a new Albert Park layout? Yeah, they've yeah they've taken out. They've made the back basically for Formula One cars. turn six to eleven are going to be flat out. Hot? What? What? Have you have you not you seen the new track No. What? That's they've, um, yeah. They've t- they've made a few corners tighter, changed some camber, removed the back chicane, so it's now just a couple of sweepers. What at turn eleven? That was
0: one of the oh, best corners in the entire track.
1: No, sorry, up, up to eleven. Oh, okay. What? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I think it's six and seven. that were the corners that they've taken out. Jesus, that's that's going to be terrifying. What is what it's is gonna... For, what is Formula One's obsession with speed at the moment?
0: Like speed doesn't Who necessarily knows? produce good racing. I wouldn't say that the the races in Jed that we had this year were good races. They were they were just controversial. I mean, like I get cars going fast. Wow, well, but like,
1: yeah, oh, I, I'm not and. It's- and there's also not a huge amount of runoff there either. Oh, sorry. It's, it's turn nine It's turn nine and ten that have been taken out. 13, six has been made more open. 13 has been made tighter. There's a f- few other changes as well.
0: Yeah, okay. And the third
1: lane's been made wider.
0: Okay, well, that's good. That needed to happen.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, so I think they're going to enjoy that. Then after there, we go out to west, Perth. At west of the Super Night, I love the Super Night event at Perth.
0: I think it shouldn't be a Super Night because it's already late enough as it is in Perth
1: already. True. But what they did when they ran it was amazing. That was true. Then we come back to Winshit, then Darwin, <laughs> Townsville. Brutal. Then we go to the Bend, which yep. has just recently been announced. Sand down. And then we hopefully get to Auckland. September Fingers Eden. crossed. Fingers, it, arms, legs, toes, and eyes crossed. <laughs> yep. Then you come to Bathurst, Gold Coast, and Sydney.
0: Interestingly, um, no San, uh, San,
1: I, I wish Sandow was an Enduro event. I wish they brought back the Enduro Cup. Yeah, me too. This year, I think it's, they're looking at just the one Enduro again. Yeah. Gold Coast will be a pair of 250s, and Sydney, I think, is going to be a pair of 300s. Okay. There is potential for one more race this year. Ooh. And it kind of depends, because there have been noises. There's a state election coming up, and... South Australia this year,
0: yes, in March. And if you're, they reckon if you if, they... if you're reading Reddit, you'll know yeah. exactly where this is going.
1: Yes, um, they reckon they reckon they can turn a street event around in the space of six months.
0: I would hope so, but I don't quite see it hmm. happening. Mostly because all of the assets have been sold off. Um, so for those out of the loop. Adelaide 500 got canned in 2021 because of, like, for 2021 because of COVID restrictions. Uh, And then, like, a week after they delayed the event, the government, who actually runs the event, um, or bankrolls the event, rather, said that they weren't going to do it at all anymore. So they were not going to renew the contract. The opposition immediately came out and said, this is dumb. We want this to happen. If you elect us, we will make it happen. So that's, like, their, their main promised, which I think is a good thing because not only is it the only Supercars Hall of Fame listed event, and that is, you know, ahead of Bathurst, ahead of the Gold Coast, ahead of all the other events that Supercars do, it's not even run by Supercars and it's a Supercars Hall of Fame event. That's how important this event mm-hmm. is. Um, it does a lot for the local economy on the east side of the city. You know, the, the Formula One Basically, rejuvenated the east side of the city, and that's why there's a lot of you know swanky cafes and really nice streets and good places to be in that half of the city now. So, um, I would hope to see that event come back. Um, it's just a matter of how much it is going to cost to bring it back, mm. provided that everything has now been sold off. Because yeah. let's not talk about politics because otherwise, I'm just gonna get mad.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is this is this is not. Angry chat.
0: No, no, not yet. <laughs> not yet. We still have to talk about the Ashes. So do we want to <laughs> yeah, talk about yeah. the
1: Ashes? Let's talk about the broken husk of the end of the cricket team.
0: Yes. Okay, so for those who don't know the sport of cricket, um, it is probably Australia's unified summer pastime, um, which is great. Uh, it is a sport, a very kind of old-fashioned sport in the fact that they do sort of tours um, so the, the Ashes, uh, for those who don't know the story, is the England versus Australia rivalry. And it's called the Ashes because in, oh, I'm going to get this year wrong. 1878. Sounds about right. Let me just quickly fact check that. Um, there was a test match between Australia and England. The test match is the five-day format. Um, also 1882. 1882. So I wasn't too far off. You know, five years, that's not too bad. Um what happened was there was a game where England needed uh only uh how many runs was it? Was it eighty eighty three runs to get?
1: It's nothing like that. I'm printing up the scorecard now.
0: It, it was a comically small amount of runs to win the game and Australia on off the back of Yeah, here uh, we go. The demon Fred Spofforth... uh <laughs> who's you know, who had the, the the most glorious mustache ever known to man um <laughs> yes. but uh, got, took all 10 wickets and won the game for Australia and as a as a joke the next day the uh the local paper i think it was the the times in um in uh in england wrote an obituary to english cricket saying that the ashes were of uh, like the ashes of were burned and taken to Australia in in the urn, and that was actually the the mm. bales of that cricket game, and so that is that is why the Australia English cricket rivalry is called the Ashes.
1: Yeah, even though the Ashes aren't technically presented.
0: No, they the the Ashes stay in the Mileybourne Cricket Club in uh, mm-hmm. in London, uh, which I've
1: been to. Oh, really? Yeah, I've been, I, not for a game. I did a, when I was in London, I did a tour, I got to see the Ashes in person.
0: Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh!
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, yeah. I've got, got, got my little replica earned somewhere. That's incredible. Um, yeah, that scorecard. And I'm going to mention it because it's going to come up again. Yeah, so it's, they needed 85 in the last innings after being. So Australia scored 63 and 122. That's oh, that's nothing. England scored 101 and 77, lost by seven runs. Damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this was in the day of uncovered pitches and four ball overs.
0: <sighs> cricket has changed so much. But anyway, yeah, yeah, so so the joke is the Ashes were burned uh, and given to Australia. And so the quest mm. to get back the Ashes has been the whole shtick of cricket between our two nations. And it is quite possibly the biggest, longest, best rivalry in cricket that is just a cricket rivalry. Um, I- a few people from uh, other parts of the world might say... For example, India versus Pakistan, but that is very much a political thing as well. So yep. they don't tend to be. In, Austra-
1: In Australia and New Zealand, that's just everything. It's not just sport. So it's that's, not just cricket. That's true. Yeah. This, this is the pure cricket rivalry that even I, not being from Australia or England, give a shit about.
0: Absolutely. And it is like, it is really the sort of unifying part of Australia. We all talk about like for supercars that Bathurst is the race that stopped the nation. It's the only thing in supercars that everyone in Australia cares about. Cricket is the summer sport for Australia. So the Ashes, you know, my mum who doesn't like cricket at all will tune into the Ashes you know uh Mm. a a, it's it's that it's that sort of thing it's the kind of uniting flavor for australia and you know we build our traditions around it you know like the boxing day test match everyone in australia on boxing day if they're not out shopping is watching the cricket because that's (laughs) what you do on boxing day
1: even if you're out shopping on boxing day you have your earphone on abc radio
0: uh, yeah, there you go. So that is that is that is the the uh, the Ashes. That's that's the kind of story that we're trying to build here, mm-hmm. and it's it's a series which has had its fair share of history and fair share of stories. And I mm-hmm. think we've already added quite a bit of history and stories in this year's edition of the Ashes, which has already been won. It's already not over. Because there's still two test matches to play, but it's already been it's already finished effectively. Yeah. Australia, Australia has already won the Ashes. They've won the series three 0 and that is because England is absolutely hopeless. It's they're hopeless. They're awful. This is the worst England team
1: I've ever seen. Basically, it's Australia and the Ashkasa thousands against Joe Root.
0: That's, that's all it is. It's like <laughs> and Joe Root is the English captain. He has had the third best year in Test cricket. Of anyone ever, ever in the 150-year history of Test cricket, Joe Root has had the third best year of cricket ever. He scored 1,700 runs. The next best player, the next best batsman in the English team this year has scored less than 600.
1: Yeah, and the third best batsman in the English team this year is not a batsman. It's extras. It's extras. extras. It's extras. So the runs you can get for not being able to bowl properly—they—they
0: they have been so bad. They have been so so incredibly bad that it's just—it's—it's
1: been—it's been hard to watch. Yeah. What is it? Twelve, twelve and a half days of fifteen played, and. and- there's been maybe two sessions amongst that 12 and a half days where I've gone, "Ooh, England might actually do okay here."
0: Absolutely. And it's just been it's just been kind of awful. It's like Yeah. We'll talk about I want to talk about the Boxing Day Test particularly oh. because the Boxing Day oh, Test. Yeah. But but we'll come back to that. So the way the test cricket works if you're not familiar is they're scheduled for 5 days. So you have two teams of 11 players. You have 90 overs a day. An over is six balls. So it's 450 balls a day. And the idea is you play an innings until you get all 10 batsmen out and then you switch over. And then each team gets two innings. So the idea is over the course of a day, you maybe start where there's more grass on the pitch and the ball moves around a bit more when it bounces, which makes it more difficult. But then as the pitch dries out it gets easier to bat so on days two and three you really really enjoy batting it's a lot easier and then as the day the test continues the ground starts to break up a little bit and it becomes harder to bat and then so you generally see smaller totals uh made in days four and five so that's a theory anyway in, in theory in practice it's a little different and depending on where you go in the world it's different as well um uh, but yeah, that's 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 the TLDR and how test matches work. So the fact that in uh, Brisbane at the Gabba they played for I think it was four days, but England England in Brisbane never looked like making uh, making anything of it. They well,
1: they were they, they were conceded a two hundred eighty run lead after the first innings. Yeah, you're not gonna do anything after that.
0: Uh, yeah, exactly. 280 runs, that's basically a whole innings before before yeah. you've even uh, started. And a lot of that was off the back of their own mistakes. Like in, in batting, sure, yeah. they were not great at batting, but in the field as well, they dropped something like four or five catches.
1: Mm. And I think Travis Head, his, his runnable century as well, there were a couple of drops in that. David Warner as well. You know, when you got a partnership of 150 between those two batsmen, he can't afford to miss a single chance, and England just drop many of them. Josh Butler had a shocker.
0: He he's had a shocker of a season. Josh Butler is the wicketkeeper for England, and he has pulled off some spectacular catches and dropped some absolute sitters. And the reason for that is because his footwork is terrible.
1: <laughs> yes, indeed. So, he is not. He's, he's not even England's best keeper. He's in the head of the batsman, and they've gone. Oh, you can have the gloves. Yeah, is not even the best much. keeper in the side at the moment.
0: He's not. He's not at all. And it's been. It's kind of ter- troubling to watch, um, mm. because like it's because because it's just not fun. It's not fun to. I mean, it's always fun beating England, but it's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun beating them when they don't even have. Yeah. A, when they don't even look like they want to play. That's the thing. They look. Yeah. They look like they're already done, and they looked yeah. done in Adelaide, which was the second game.
1: Did you get along to Adelaide at all?
0: I did not. I Aww. I was I was unable to secure tickets for day 1, and then on days 2 and 3 I was doing the Automobile Supercars Bathurst 1000 broadcast in person with the Apex Rewind group, which was an awesome pair of days. And if you want to watch our broadcast, there's an 8-hour broadcast up on YouTube where you can see me give the camera the finger and do some analysis and eat some chips. Um, but,
1: uh, I saw, I saw that. There was, there was some great viewing.
0: Ah, uh, thank you. But really, the <laughs> the 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 whole credit for that entire thing has to go to Alastair, who set the whole thing up because he's like his broadcast set up for let's remind everyone, pretend race cars is just incredible, and it just it makes me feel like Mark Larkham, and it's great. Um, but yeah, so I didn't, uh, so I didn't go to the cricket.
1: Fair enough. Now it looks spectacular. England at least put up a bit of a fight, but not much. And in the end, they were bowled out with what ten overs to go. I yeah, think, in the last day. Yeah. So, like,
0: it was it was good that they got to the last day, but there was mm. an air of inevit inevitability of them losing that game. Oh.
1: Once Josh Butler trod on the stumps, that was it.
0: Oh, that was that was that's kind of sums up his season. Mm. Tr- or his uh, series, to truth be told.
1: Yeah, I think it's the third most rare out of the nine ways to get out in cricket.
0: The other two being handled the ball and timed and out. I, yes. There you go. There
1: you go. Um, and an obstruction of field, but yes. yeah, Basically, okay. it's such a rare occurrence for him to get or anyone to get out that way, and that was pretty much curtains because no one else in the batting lineup knows how to defend.
0: Well, I mean, except for Ben Stokes, but the problem is he does it all the time. Yes. And and, and Ben Stokes is probably England's best player who isn't named Joe Root at the moment.
1: Also born in Crushich. <laughs> yeah, his dad was a Canterbury rugby player. That's
0: true. That's true. I mean, our best batsman was born in England, or South Africa, it depends on who you think the best batsman is. Sorry. So is New
1: Zealand's. Huh? So was New Zealand's.
0: Yeah, well there you go. <laughs>
1: South Africa. If you could get your own team to play in your own country, you'd be great.
0: <laughs> I mean, they are great already. That's the thing.
1: <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, but yeah, end of the end of the day. So that was it. Was look, they got the the final session. Good on them for that. Putting up a bit of fight. But yeah, two hundred and seventy five runs victory to Australia.
0: And then Boxing Day happened.
1: And then Boxing Day happened, and everyone just lost. Well, I was mesmerised.
0: I. It was. It was the best bowling I have seen in Australia possibly ever and like that's the Mm. thing as well like okay there is part of it that England's batting is so trash that they were just giving away wickets but the quality of the bowling as well Scott Boland to come into the side on test debut and end up with six wickets for seven runs that is in what he he bowled four overs that's so that in 24 balls
1: he took six wickets four overs six and he may not play next test.
0: And he may not play. And that's the thing. We'll talk I want to talk a little bit about Australia's the the unflappables because of everything that's mm. gone on with the Australian test side in the the in this oh, yeah. 3 weeks. But the fact that he came into the side as an MCG specialist and then just did what he does and got rewarded for mm. it is just awesome and it's incredible. Uh, but I will say when England on the end of that second day, had Australia two hundred and nineteen for eight. You know, there was we were mm-hmm. still behind at that point by about twenty runs. Oh, oh sorry, yeah. we, were, we were just ahead, something along those lines. It was very close. If that had been Australia bowling at that point, the last two wickets would have fallen for nothing, and we would yeah. have been level pegging. And
1: yeah, th- w- you wouldn't have let eight, nine, and ten score fifty runs between them.
0: Exactly, and so or 19, 11. Exactly, potato tomato. Um, but it was. I was actually for a period of time worried. I was like, England are in a decent position here. They're bowling well. James Anderson is, you know, mm. got what seven for twenty-two or something ridiculous. Um, and we we're in a spot of bother here. It could be a close Test match. And mm. then, okay. a- and then we started bowling.
1: Yeah. And then Ollie Rob And <laughs> then you just decided, okay, this is it. Game over. Um, Mitchell Stark as well, I think his contribution in that first innings is underrated. He took three for 29, but his bowling was just ferocious.
0: It was fire. And it's the best rhythm mm. I've seen Stark bowl in a test match for a long time.
1: Yeah. And I don't think he's even been the best bowler of the series for you for Australia. Who has been the best bowler of this series? Pat Cummins. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, and, and for reasons that we're about to get into, I find that incredible.
0: Absolutely. So, do we want to talk about do we want to talk about the Boxing Day capitulation first or we yeah. want to talk about the, the the everything else first
1: Let's go with let's go with Boxing Day first because we start with there now
0: Yeah okay so Boxing Day for me is the best day of the year <laughs> because uh, yeah. for, for a few reasons number 1 you get all the Christmas leftovers that you haven't eaten from yep. Christmas Day number 2 you get to play with all your your cool new presents and your cool new toys number 3 mm-hmm. there's cricket on the television and number 4 they start selling hot cross buns in stores it's the best.
1: Number um, four is number four is marginal. I love
0: and that number response,
1: five, is a, and, and number five is a city to hope of, But anyway, ah, oh, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, um, but yeah, but this was that. Uh, what session? So, Sixty-five years. So England just barely made tea. Yeah. So
0: it. This was. This was the thing. It's. Uh, so England struggled through Boxing Day. Mm-hmm. were all out. Australia came into bat, batted a, a day. It didn't. It looked difficult to bat. It looked really difficult to bat, truth be told. Um, and so, by the end of the day on the twenty seventh, well, there was an hour left of play when Australia got all out, and mm-hmm. the bowlers came out to bowl. And the spell of bowling in that last hour was. Incredible. You had Pat Cummins yeah. coming through one end and Mitchell Stark down the other. Pat Cummins looked like getting a wicket every single ball. He didn't yeah. get a single
1: wicket that entire innings. <laughs> which is which is absurd to think. Absurd. But, but you had that you had that going on. You had the Melbourne crowd, who are very well lubricated by this point, being incredibly loud, incredibly, you know, vocal. It was some of the best uh cricket that I've actually, I heard, because I didn't watch it, I was out driving.
0: Lame. But
1: but I was listening to it, and it was just phenomenal to listen to. And I think that contributed to what happened in that hour, in terms of the wickets that fell.
0: Absolutely. And this is one of the moments where I think Test Cricket really shows that it is truly theatre. It is truly Mm. and absolutely a a watching sport and people who don't like test cricket will say it's long and it's boring and it takes forever. But when it is like this, when the whole crowd is involved, when that atmosphere is at a burning point, like it is Mm -hmm. when the bowlers are steaming in and the batsmen are clinging on for dear life, it is absolutely the best form of theater. And the fact that Pat Cummins had four balls that were genuine wicket taking deliveries that batsman missed by the sliver of the timber and didn't get out, and then Mitch Stark, you know, swinging them down from one end, getting wickets, and then you bring on the debutant, the new, the Victorian uh, local, who comes in and immediately gets a wicket with a an incredible ball. You send out the night watchman who survives ball one just. And then leaves one and gets his off stump ripped out of the ground, and just the cheer, the fanfare, like that is the stuff that dreams are made of. And oh my gosh, it was it was glorious. And that's yeah. that's that's what Test cricket gives. It's the story that gives you the build up, and that's ah, oh, that was the payoff though. The payoff was so yeah. good.
1: Yeah, and then the payoff continued the following morning when Scott Boland, the local hero, decided, you know what, I'm just going to do something that's never been done before.
0: It was incredible it was incredible and like (laughs) I was joking with some mates uh, we actually set up a cricket chat in our friends group which I never thought would happen Um, but we set up a cricket chat and a bunch of us were just watching together while voice chatting and I said as a joke oh imagine if we imagine if we bowled them out and won by an innings and then Boland just came in and tore the team apart so for context figures like six wickets for seven runs don't happen. They just don't. You, no. th- you, this is in the entire history of test cricket the best strike rate per ball in a in a spell ever, or yeah. it's pretty close.
1: I, I, I'm pretty sure it's the best, and it's you know to give give it context. Like I think my best record playing was like three for fifteen, which is still
0: pretty impressive.
1: Which is which is still pretty impressive for a crappy like me, but to take five wickets, you'd normally consider if you had five for 40 or five for 50, you've done well.
0: And and as well, five for 50 off of like 12 overs, or 13 yeah. overs. So, you know, yeah. a lot of work. This is off four overs, 24 balls, and he took six <laughs>
1: wickets. That's, yeah. It's so ridiculous. That's, that's one over. That's tw- so basically, he took a wicket of 25% of his balls. 10% of his balls went for scoring shots. It's so. When you, do, when you break it down like that, it's just so crazy. Like, I, I'm trying to think. Last time something like this I remember happening was Michael Clark in India.
0: Yeah, when he got, what, uh was it six for three or something mental? Something like that. Yeah. So that's
1: in India where the ball turns four and a half miles.
0: Yeah, exactly. Just ridiculous. It's it, it, like, it is difficult to overstate how special Boland's spell was. And if you. If you are, if you don't quite understand what we're talking about, and if you are new to cricket, if you can find a video highlights of the bowling of that fifth day, or the sorry, that third day, mm. um, then you absolutely do so because it will maybe not so much give you an appreciation of the bowling in context because it's very difficult to you know, build context around test cricket, much like it's difficult to build context around endurance racing. It's one of those things that the more you watch, the more you understand about the inner workings. Because again, it is very nuanced. But at least the context of the atmosphere of how the crowd responds to a moment like that, mm-hmm. that kind of gives you a bit more of an idea.
1: I was going to say Michael Clark was six for nine, so even better than that.
0: Even better than Michael Clark, which, <laughs> I mean, Michael Clark's a part-time offer at best, but still. So... A few stats uh, from mm-hmm. from this. Uh, it took 19 balls for Boland to get the Pfeiffer, which is yep. the best, equal best ever. It took... Uh, Australia scored 276 runs in their first innings, which is the lowest total that has to win a test by an innings since
1: 1986. Yep.
0: 68 was English, England's England's sorry lowest score in Australia since 1904. <laughs> so over a hundred years. <laughs> yep. Um, Marcus Harris, uh, Australia's Victorian opener, uh, who's been a bit out of sorts for a little while, um, mm-hmm. scored 76 runs in the first innings, which is more than England's entire second innings. It yeah, has been. It has been 4,000 days since England won a test match in Australia. and Ugh. And Joe Root has scored 26% of England's runs in 2021.
1: If you were writing a book on how not to win a test series or how to win a test match, that's how you do it. They are phenomenally bad from England's point of view.
0: Yes, that's 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 the thing. They've been phenomenally bad.
1: And there's a lot of disharmony in the England camp because before the tour, they were like, oh, we don't want to have to quarantine. and We don't want to have to go through all that crap because of COVID.
0: And they were also doing a documentary to say that they were this is the most prepared team ever for an Ashes tour as mm-hmm. well.
1: They were, yes. Yeah, so do remember that, uh, BBC talking about that. And now they've come here, being destroyed, still caught COVID, Mm. and it was even a question mark over whether the next two tests were going to go ahead they are at the moment for now even even, you know we're taking the next one at sydney even though we had to move the final test from perth to hobart which i think is really awesome
0: that'll be cool in hobart yeah
1: yeah hobart day night test um but it's just been a tour that i think is going to cost the english coach's job
0: Oh, absolutely! I like I just just based on the way England have been playing, I don't hmm. think the the position of their coach is untenable, especially with the yeah. decisions made around selections. Um, I think the fact that they did not have a spinner at all for Adelaide, where which is
1: ridiculous,
0: yeah, where you've already lost, you know, seven points in the World Test Championship for overrates at the Gabba, um. Mm-hmm. You're, and you're then you're then going to Adelaide, which does take a fair bit of spin without a frontline spinner, where you're already running and behind then, in overs,
1: and your best spinner, who's actually probably better than your frontline spinner, is a paceman doing offies.
0: Yeah, they, it it kind of showed a, a complete lack of forethought. Um, yeah, and then they kind of and then to go to to go to Melbourne and to lose it the way that they did, and like as I said, they were looking dangerous. James Anderson, who has mm. been the best. The best pace bowler ever, arguably, came in and took took a bunch of wickets in the first innings. looked dangerous, and then they were let down by the batsman. I think that's that's been the story. They've been let. They've always been let down. It's a team of one yeah. and two, as opposed to a team of eleven. And Australia, on the other hand, have been a team of not just eleven, but all the players that they've brought in as well have have done the job. Like yeah. it's. We, because we, we look look at Australia at the moment, and it's been a kind of a weird story of this Ashes series. So the incumbent captain uh, reti- Effectively, he's retired from Test cricket. I don't think he's ever going to come back to it. He's retired from cricket because uh, two weeks before the series started, it came out that there was a uh, a sexting scandal that, that that happened in 2017 that was uh, going to. You know, end up in the public eye, and so he basically came out, revealed the whole thing, and then, and then, rescinded the captaincy. So gave away the captaincy, and then effectively gave away his position in the team. Um, and like that doesn't. In some other sports, that might not be such a big deal. But the whole point of Tim Payne as a captain was that his image was squeaky clean. And when yeah. when he got brought back into the team, it was just after the sandpaper saga in 2017 in Cape Town, which was this big deal. And there was this whole disconnect between the Australian cricket team and the Australian public. And so they needed someone to come in and try and repair that. And that's what Tim Payne's job was as captain then. Not so much as a cricket captain. I mean, he was still... Adequate, but like to be the bridge between Australia's favourite sport mm. and the people playing that sport and the Australian public. Um, which, like, yeah. this sounds really, really dumb, but quite honestly, the Australian captain might be more important to Australians than the Prime Minister of the country. Like, that's how much Australians love their <laughs> cricket.
1: And and people will think that can't be right. No, no, no. It is. This is absolutely. It is. This is absolutely <laughs> the case. Um, yes.
0: So to have that like two weeks out from the test match, you start with a brand new captain, a bowling captain in Pat Cummins. Um, you end up after the first game of the series where your one of your best bowlers and Todd ha- uh, Todd Hazelwood, Jesus, Josh, <laughs> Josh Hazelwood has uh, an injury and so he's going to be out for the next game. On the eve of the test match, your captain in Pat Cummins is a close contact and has to isolate. So you go in with two brand new bowlers you've got a brand new wicketkeeper as well, and you still win quite easily. The wicketkeeper doesn't make a mistake. The two bowlers pick up wickets like it's nothing. And then you go to, to Melbourne, where you drop those two new bowlers, bring back your captain, and add a Melbourne specialist who takes six for seven in the second
1: innings. Yeah. And now you go to Sydney with the prospect of having to bring back Josh Hazelwood and dropping either the bowler who takes six for nine your spinner, which you're never going to do because Nathan is never going to get dropped. Yeah. Or bring in the second spinner. This is like, what, seventh string fast bowling? And and they're still world beaters. They're still world yeah. beaters. It's just crazy to think. And it's just an embarrassment of riches. And one, thing, one other subplot as well in that, that game where Pat Cummins didn't play, Redemption for Steve Smith. Absolutely. Well, not Redemption, but it was like, a you know, returning to captaincy for him uh, yeah. so it's come full circle
0: it has it has indeed come full circle so really australia has been the unflappables nothing has yeah. derailed this 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 awesome Ashes series for for the australian team sydney and hobart is there anything that can stop uh, the australians from winning the series
1: 5-0 only a covid closure
0: that's i i agree <laughs> that's the only reason that these two games aren't going to finish with australian victories
1: mm. yeah And England now, with COVID in their camp, I'm surprised they weren't out looking doorknobs on Chapel Street Uh after the test.
0: I'm surprised they weren't doing that on the eve of the last day, truth be told.
1: (laughs) True. Um, So they're honestly just wanting to get this tour done. (laughs) There's rumours in there that, you know, Joe Root's going to get rid of the, lose the captaincy, Ben Stokes taking it. I think he said, nah, he doesn't want to do that. But just so much disharmony on the England side of things at the moment. They just need to get back home.
0: Yeah, I it has looked that way since the series started. Truth be told, it's looked it's looked like they've not wanted to be. They've looked like they've not up for the contest since they've started. Mm.
1: Yeah, basically.
0: Yeah. yeah, so the next test starts on I think Saturday or Friday this week.
1: Uh, I had the calendar up. I've just lost it. It was starting on the fifth of Jan, so Wednesday.
0: Wednesday, okay. Jeez. Wednesday already? at the SCG. And the SCG is a, a pitch that traditionally, in years past, has taken a lot of spin. So sometimes they play two spinners. It hasn't happened recently, not in the last few years that I've thought about it. But that's uh, two spinners. Might I don't actually think that will be an option. Um, no, they
1: they could play four spinners and still win.
0: Yeah, that's that's the thing. Australia are looking just <laughs> deadly at the moment. Um, uh, I saw that Travis Head, one of South Australia's uh, players in the Test squad, uh, has. Been a co- close contact for COVID, so he's not going to play. So uh, the the assumption then is you bring in Kawaja uh, to play at five.
1: It's an assumption, yes, but I think it's the most sensible option. They may also look at someone like a um, who was I going to think of Nick
0: Maddinson, who's been on yeah, the squad. Yeah,
1: that's the one. Yeah, um, and it might have been one for Wilfowski if he wasn't if he stopped being concussed, but I don't think he has. So
0: yeah, I, I don't think yeah. he's made his return yet.
1: Yeah, but I think Uzi it would be a most likely option there. Yeah, then you just have to figure out who the heck's going to bowl.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you've got an embarrassment of riches there. You can pick what Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark, uh, Nisa, Richardson, Boland. Mm. Like, if you drop Boland after taking six for seven, that'd be a bit harsh. I can understand why. Mind you,
1: mind you, you drop you drop Jason Gillespie after scoring two hundred. Yeah, but he's uh, yeah. <laughs> <Oof>. Um, <laughs> so I mean, I think they'll go with. Cummins, Hazelwood. I reckon they might give Stark a rest. Yep. And then go with the one spinner and Lion.
0: Yeah, that and yeah, that that sounds pretty pretty solid. What about what about England then? What what choices do you see being made for England?
1: Um, not many because they've sent they had their A team out here. They sent them home early. I was not either, but they sent them home.
0: Yeah, so that's a, now Australia A. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. They've also ordered six players from the BBL back home. So I think if there was anyone because I think some of those England BBL players might have been in the frame had they still been in the country. Yeah. But I don't think there's much that they can actually do. Uh, They've pretty much made the changes they can uh, with bringing in people like Biesto and Oli Pope's probably the one they can bring in.
0: Yeah, but I mean, he's looked kind of garish in every single yeah. bat he's made. I am surprised they didn't re- bring in Folks uh, as their keeper, who has a better batting average than Butler anyway.
1: True, but at this point in time, what's the biggest issue to fix?
0: The fact that they're in Australia and they're playing badly.
1: <laughs> yeah, one person's not going to change that. That's true. Uh,
0: yeah, this is uh, kind of kind of been a. A shit show for the English team, and like in this century, there's only been really one series where England has put up a, a decent fight in Australia, and that was 2010 2011. If you look back at the whole the, well, the, the, the century well, I mean, since the year 2000, like England lost 4 1, they lost 5 0. They actually won a series in 2010, 2011. Then they lost five oh, That was nil. an amazing series. That was an amazing series. And I remember I was at the ground when KP scored his double century in Adelaide. And I hated that moment, but I love that moment just the same. <laughs> yeah. um, but, the, you know, they lost again in 2013 14, 5 0. They lost 4 0 last time they were in Australia. It's looking like another 5 0 coming up this series. Is, is the Ashes. Is the Ashes that important if England are going to be losing 5-0 every single time?
1: Yes. Because just because you lose something so many times in a row, i.e. like a blitters low cup, doesn't make it less important for the oh, nation.
0: Why do you have to look...
1: But screw you. I, I, I'm, I'm going to make a serious point here though about England. They're, from looking into it, their domestic structure is broken. Yeah, Absolutely broken. Uh, they have two limited or two short formats, so t twenty and the hundred. It seems like their Red Bull game is going down the gurgler. They need to do something and fast, and I'm talking in the next two years to get them back where they are. Because I I forget, like three years ago, I think it was England were were they ranked number one test side in the world.
0: Well, possibly. I think they yeah. were. I, I, I it wouldn't have been that long ago. I I, I think. You're, you're absolutely right there uh, and I think the reason for that is because they've swung too hard to the short format mm. after 2015 because remember the, the 2015 one day World Cup in Australia they didn't make the knockout rounds because they lost to Bangladesh in the last game and mm-hmm. uh, and their they're like one day side just looked like trash but then since then they have been the one day team of the decade effectively. So yeah. they kind of to swung too far. But
1: look, at, but look at the other nations that are doing well in tests at the moment. Australia, Sheffield Shield is still really strong. Um, they have a BBL, which is a basket case, but that's another story for another day. Yeah, but it's, but it's still only the one, and they have no almost no domestic one day cup So it's all very much Red Bull game. New Zealand is similar. They have their Plunket Shield and the I don't know who sponsors it now. Their T Twenty League. And a one day cup as well. But they have a really good focus on the one day oh sorry, on the Red Bull game still. And while Test cricket's around, because I don't know if it will be by the time I no longer on this Earth, but while it's still around, it's important these teams focus on it a lot more than they currently are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um and otherwise you end up with series like this.
1: Yeah. 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 Thankfully, it's not the only series going on at the moment.
0: No, there is there is other cricket going on around the world, and some cricket that the Black Caps, your New Zealand team, have been involved with at the moment in Bangladesh. And how's that going? Just by the way. Oh, it's
1: actually it's actually Bangladesh playing in New Zealand.
0: Oh, okay, my bad.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the first test is in Mount Monganui. which we're currently on day three, and Bangladesh have okay, Bangladesh have just passed New Zealand's first innings score. Okay. The loss of four for, for the loss of four wickets.
0: Ooh, that's that sounds like it's an uphill battle for New Zealand now.
1: Yeah, this is after New Zealand were two eighty one for five.
0: So, so what did New Zealand have a back end uh, uh, collapse then?
1: No, some, Yeah, but it's more so because Bangladesh actually have been playing really well.
0: Oh, that's good. Bangladesh, uh, for those who maybe don't have the context, have been one of the newer sides in the Test setup. I think they got Test status in the eighties or nineties?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, uh, early nineties.
0: Early nineties. So they it's taken them a while to get onto like a a good level where they're playing good quality cricket a lot of the time. So the the fact that they're, you know, beating New Zealand who are let's remind everyone, because I'm sure if I don't Kiwi will, the world test champions uh, at the moment, um, then mm-hmm. is is a pretty impressive stuff. I wanna draw attention though to Devin Conway who
1: is one of the openers for the Kiwi team. I believe. Yep. Born in South Africa. Came to New Zealand a few years ago.
0: Yeah, he ha he's, I think, only the sixth player to achieve something very rare in cricket. Do you know what that is, Kiwi? Uh
1: hundreds on debut home and away games?
0: Yes, yes, you are. Yes, you're right. <laughs> he scored <laughs> what know. what was it, a double hundred in England? Mm-hmm. And then a hundred uh yesterday. Yesterday, two days ago.
1: Yeah. On that though, I do have to point out a the magnificent commentator's curse, and B, the arrogance of these commentators. Oh, really? He was on 120, or whatever it was, in the game. Yeah. The commentator said, we're looking forward to his 300.
0: Oh, my gosh. What a wanker.
1: The two female commentators were both agreeing with each other. I think he was out within the next 10 minutes. Oh. And now that New Zealand's being been like a dinner... I'm just going, why would you say something so arrogant? Uh, it's just not showing any respect. But anyway. Brilliant. But that's not the only epic New Zealand performance of the last month. Yeah. I do want to also point out Ajis Patel.
0: Yes. Is he not in box, the tight side anymore?
1: He did, He's not playing this game, no. <laughs> oh, so for, for those wondering what we're talking about, he is only the third bowler in the history of cricket in 2,500 test matches to take all 10 wickets in an innings.
0: That is astounding. That is, I never thought I would see the day where that would happen.
1: Yeah. And then New Zealand followed up with the worst batting display I've ever seen and lost that game by an innings.
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> hilarious. I'm sorry, but that's hilarious. It is. It's not, not good. Cricket, cricket is a funny game like that, isn't it?
1: It is. It
0: is. Uh, we'll wrap this up fairly shortly. Uh, we're in the month of January, the month of January 2021. Kiwi, what sports are you looking forward to watch this month?
1: So obviously we've got the cricket going on. We have India and South Africa as well at the moment. There's yep. Big Bash, which is not uh, much fun, but it's always funny.
0: It's, 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 it's fun for the memes, but I'm enjoying the memes yeah. less now because the two best players yeah. for my team are currently playing test cricket. So they're not playing Big Bash, which means we just suck.
1: And Melbourne Stars had to replace eight players because of COVID. But Yay. But um also the I'm keeping an eye on the A League because that's going through a bit of an interesting phase at the moment.
0: Yeah, that that's a similar sort of thing as well, with uh mm. a lot of COVID postponements and that sort of thing
1: as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um we also got the Dakar rally going on, which I'm keeping an eye on. It's a really hard thing to keep, you know, abreast of because you get half hours of highlights package because you're in the desert, you can't watch it live.
0: Yeah, exactly. That start, um, that
1: started on New Year's Day, didn't it? It did. Yes. We do have the um, are we gearing up for Super Rugby in the near future? Super Rugby Pacific, so I think, starts mid Feb. So far away. Yeah, but that, but they had the season games, and that's yeah. different for this year because we've got uh, teams from the Pacific. We've got what are they? Pacifica and uh, Marad Pacifica and BG, I think, are entering teams. Nice. Now. That's cool.
0: Super Rugby, just quick, very quickly, you got two minutes. Explain well, less than two minutes, thirty seconds. Explain Super Rugby and the the actual like league format for that.
1: Yeah, So Super Rugby has gone through a number of changes in the recent years. We've gone back to Super Rugby Pacific, which is teams from Australia, New Zealand, and now the Pacific, in Moana Pacifica and the Fiji Drua, uh, playing a twelve round competition over twenty over nineteen rounds, semis and a final. Uh, Actually, much more simple than previous years, starting mid-Feb.
0: Didn't Super Rugby used to have teams from South Africa in it as well?
1: Yeah, but they've all buggered off to Europe.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) Rugby rugby Union, like the actual competition format is very odd because it it doesn't seem that any Mm. team or any nation is able to, to maintain its own league without help. And so you get these weird combinations of, yeah, mm. leagues.
1: The only countries that really can seem to be New Zealand and South Africa and Europe.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, Europe's not a country, but you, know what oh, you mean? Yeah. 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 But
1: the, uh, that's why South Africa buggered off because they weren't getting, or I think they weren't getting a fair due. Yeah. But it does mean the Western force are back and everyone in the West is happy for that.
0: Woo. Go team. Um, yeah, it's interesting times. I will be watching, of course, the cricket, because, of course, you've got to watch the cricket. The Australian Open mm-hmm. will hopefully be coming up in Melbourne as well. So even though yes. I'm not a huge tennis fan, I'll probably flick that on and just watch, you know, 14 days straight
1: of tennis. That That's going to be really interesting this year. No Novak Djokovic, no Roger Federer. No Federer? Why no Federer? Injured. Oh, damn. Rafa Nadal is likely to be here, but he's just coming off a of COVID. Yep. COVID case. So it's actually very interesting. It's probably the most open it's been for a while. And the women's draw is always open. The
0: women's draw is always open. I don't think anyone in the women's draw has won two years in a row because it's just that no. ridiculous. Um,
1: Naomi Osaka going for a back-to-back?
0: That'll be good if she can uh, she can maintain the mental side of her game, which has been a problem for her uh, mm. recently.
1: Um, and, and, and local hope, Ash Barty.
0: Yes, Ash. It's good to see her back into it as well. I love I love when like when we were in peak COVID back in twenty twenty, um, she elected not to go over to to Roland Garros because she didn't want to be in quarantine. And then like there, yeah, was, he, this, there he, was this there was this picture of her just taken yes. at the footy, just slamming down a beer, and screaming. Yes, <laughs> what There's a
1: dreamboat! She she's also played for the Brisbane Heat in the Big Bash.
0: Yeah, right! What a what a what an absolute dreamboat! <laughs> yeah. Uh, I will also be watching the biathlon, the 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 um the European tour of the biathlon as they go in their post Christmas uh swing of events uh, through Germany at Oberhof and Rupolding and then into Anhalt, which is in uh which is in Italy. I love the biathlon and a shout out to the biathlon fam who've been watching with me. So if you don't know biathlon, it's uh, skiing and shooting, and it's a very weird combination of like an endurance. Uh, event which you have to have like a high lung capacity and a lot of strength for, and a precision sport of shooting where you have to be like have a you know really relaxed body and low uh, heart rate and everything. So it's a really really interesting sport, and I can't wait it, it, to talk it, more about biathlon in at at next month.
1: It'd be like being in a being in an endurance a three hour endurance race and having to change all four tires at your own pit stop.
0: Oh, not not even that. It's like being in a three hour endurance race and having to get out and. Uh, like very accurately throw your target down every single pit stop or something like that. It, it's because it's like the fine movements with the shooting, which is like so very precise. It's You just, just
1: give me, you just give me an idea for ca- for car biathlon.
0: Car biathlon. Oh my god. It-
1: Drive by shooting the targets. Everyone <laughs> do you have to do a long lap?
0: <laughs> it's the Joker lap. Um, yeah. yeah, so I'm excited for that. the The men's comp is super interesting this year. the The champion from the past three seasons, uh, Johannes uh, uh has been struggling a little bit, so he's not as exci- Well, not as dominant as he's been, which means it's really opened it up to a few young guys like uh, uh, Quentin Fillomaye and uh, Lygreed. I can't remember his first name. Um, and uh and Jacqueline. So that, that's really interesting. And then the women's tour. I, I'm a really big fan of Sweden. I've kind of adopted Sweden mm-hmm. as my home team. And the Swedish uh, ladies at the moment, like uh, the Uberg, uh, the Oberg sisters, Elvira and Hannah, they've been doing really, really well. And uh, I'm, I'm just really excited for them to maybe challenge for the overall this year, which would be good. Oh, cool.
1: Yeah. Um, what, one of sport I'm going to keep an eye on coming into the Olympics is curling as well. Oh, yeah. I love the curling. Particularly because for the first time ever, there's going to be an Australian pair competing. Yes! At the, at the Olympics.
0: That's going to be awesome. Uh, and of course, we'll be watching all the Olympics. That starts in like the 3rd of February as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll, we'll be watching plenty of that. But we'll hopefully be on for another podcast before then.
1: Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Olympics preview.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's what we're here for. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for doing this, Kiwi
1: no problem uh hopefully it's an experiment that works and we'll continue doing this
0: yeah and if you have enjoyed us talking about uh the sports that we love uh let us know um we'll probably keep doing this just for a little while just for our own interest but if it's if it's something that you guys want to hear more of then yeah definitely we we'd love to we'd love to be bringing you the that sort of content but if not we're gonna do it anyway because we love it
1: <laughs> and i love you man
0: Ah, I love you too, buddy. I hope, it's been, I hope this year's going to be a good year. I hope all the big changes are going to be good changes.
1: <laughs> they will be. Oh, I've got a few exciting ones coming up, as we all know. So yeah. uh, bring it on.
0: Absolutely. And uh, there's plenty of sport to be excited about as well. And on that note, I've been Michael Zolivari. Thank you very much for listening. Peace out. Cool, okie dokie. Bro, I just started the
1: recording. That is literally the start of the recording. I got an easy timestamp. You
0: piece of absolute excrement.